0: City to city, state to state, worldwide. You're listening to the In the Zone Network.
1: This is it. Are you ready? Tell me who can stop me, I'm in the zone, competition's none in the league of my own, all about the W, I'ma bring it home when it's over with, I'ma be the king of the throne. Now who can stop me? I'm in the zone. Competition's none in the league of my own. All about the W, I'ma bring it home when it's over with, I'ma be the king of the throne. Welcome to this edition of the Alliance XFL Show. I am the A-Train Arlington Lane. Coming up on the program, I'll talk it over with Benjamin Albright. Uh, You can find him on Twitter at AlbrightNFL. We'll talk some of the Alliance and also some of the latest XFL rumors. I'll talk it over again with Howard Balzer and get his week one reactions and talk about his article that you can find at AAF.com. Also, my man Phil Allen. Is on with me today and he'll talk uh, everything around the Alliance from week one so you'll get three unique conversations three unique perspectives but one great show all right so make sure that you check it out for that make sure you go to our website at Alliance to xflcom and Alliance to XFL is sponsored by VK credit repair make sure you contact Kendra Dean today uh, you can find her on Instagram at unlimited credit 850 And uh, you can find out all the information that can help you get better credit uh, coming up in the future. Before we take a time out, I want to uh, give a little bit about the vote that we had on Alliance to XFL's Twitter. We asked you before the debut edition what game that you were looking forward to. 38% said they were looking forward to Memphis versus Birmingham. And then we also asked right after that, we asked you who was the most impressive back in week one and you guys said the orlando apollos was the most impressive team so thank you guys for voting we'll have more of those coming up in the very future so we'll take a time out first up benjamin albright right after the break you're listening to the alliance to xfl show right here on the in the zone network
0: My name is Ronnie, and I have used VK Credit Repair for 30 days, and in 30 days, my credit score has gone up 90 points. Kendra gave me a clear plan of what we needed to do in order to make the improvements on my credit. She did them for me. She came through on every deadline. She gave me instructions on what to do, what not to do. I saw four collections fall off. In 30 days, that's what she did for me. My future in regards to business, for my children, and for me, looks very promising and bright. And it's a small investment in your time and your money in regards to what it can do for you overall. So I'm just so appreciative of it. And I stand behind her because I've seen magic. I've seen it. I owe all of that to Kendra and DK Credit Repair. City to city, state to state, worldwide. You're listening to the In The Zone Network.
1: Welcome back to this edition of the Alliance, to XFL show, the A-Train Arlington Lane. On the line with me right now is uh, he's an NFL writer, but he's also doing some coverage of the Alliance and the XFL. I'm glad to have with us today uh, from Denver, Denver radio host Benjamin Albright. Benjamin, how are you doing today? Outstanding. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I have been uh, uh, enthralled with your uh, latest tweets, if you don't follow him at Albright NFL. And uh, you've been uh, on point with a lot of the uh, news and updates that's been going on with not just the NFL, but also with the XFL as well.
2: Well, yeah, I try to, keep, uh, try to keep my ear to the ground for all things football and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So happen to grab a little bit of information uh, kind of ahead of other people and maybe uh, maybe able to fill a niche and fill a void that, uh, that currently is out there.
1: Well, let's get into it right now, Ben. Um, the Alliance just wrapped up week number one. And uh, what were your thoughts on uh, the entire uh, slate of games for the Alliance?
2: Well, I thought it wasn't bad. I thought it was pretty good for a for a brand new league rollout, uh, especially for guys that you know hadn't been practicing together very long. These team's only been together about about 30 days, so I thought the product wasn't. Uh uh, it wasn't as it's maybe bad as a lot of people thought it was going to be. Um, simply because of that, I thought it was. Uh, I thought there were decent games. There were, you know, there were two teams uh, that were they were completely overmatched. Um, offensive line play was down. Quarterback play was down with some of these teams. Uh, the Memphis and Atlanta franchises um, don't have the talent to compete that the other ones do. Uh, the problem with Atlanta is just their coach quit on them. Brad Childers quit on them. Uh, you know, about two three weeks before the start of the season as well. So, you know, that's that's a bad look for him. Uh, but overall, you know. I I thought thought the quality of play was pretty good. There's some guys in there that are definitely going to get some league futures deals. McKellick McKay, Greg Ward, Luis Perez, um, Ross, Rashad Ross. Um, You know, I mostly looked at the offensive side of the football, and I'll I'll go back and look at the defense this week. But uh, those names jump out at me right off the bat.
1: Speaking with Ben Albright right now on the Alliance to XFL show, right here on the, in the Zone Network. Ben, you had spoke a bit about the offensive end. Uh, one player in mind that came to uh, in in my mind was uh, Gary Gilbert for the Orlando Apollos. Uh, what did you? What was your thoughts on that with that forty to six win uh, against Atlanta?
2: Well, I thought there were three quarterbacks that really played better than anybody, better than the rest of them. That was Wolford, um, over there with Arizona. You just mentioned Gilbert, and then Luis Perez out of Birmingham. I I thought Perez played the best out of all of them. He certainly had the most uh, uh, 20-plus yard throws. He was also the quarterback with the most drops. Uh, He had five balls dropped on him that if they'd been caught would have added another 100, 150 yards to his total Mm -hmm. uh, for the the day. Uh, I thought Perez was by and large the most impressive. I thought Garrett Gilbert was number two. Uh, Wolford was impressive, but what he was doing was playing a quick free step game. Uh, so what he, what he was really kind of doing there wouldn't really translate into the NFL. It was
1: just good to win in that league. Uh, in terms of NFL potential, though, Gilbert and, and Perez are kind of the guys in this league. That's amazing. I mean, because uh, you mentioned Luis Perez, and yeah, I I believe he did an excellent job against uh, Memphis. And uh, not only not only him, but uh, also uh, Trent Richardson. You know, Trent Richardson playing in the backfield. He scored two touchdowns. Man, it was a great sight to see. You know, him out there playing again. And what was your uh, thoughts on on Trent Richardson?
2: Well, you know, it's a fun story. Uh, Richardson last took an NFL snap, I believe, four years ago. It's Mm -hmm. been a while. Um, Trent still has the vision problems. I saw him miss a couple of wide open holes, uh, but he didn't go down on first contact. He really gave the the iron what they needed when they were trying to salt that thing away, breaking tackles. So overall rushing average wasn't highly impressive, but they used him inside the 10. So, uh, you know, he was kind of there for goal line carries and stuff as well. And that they kind of salted his average down a little bit. Um, You know, I I thought overall, um, you know, he looked all right. He's going to have to run with a little more vision, uh, you know, in order to maybe, maybe sniff the league again, but that may not be his goal um you know he signed a, a three-year quarter million dollar deal which is constant with what they do in the league it's mm-hmm. 70,000 for the first year 80,000 for the second year and 100,000 for the third uh and that may be what he's doing he may just be you know he may just be looking at um you know trying to ride out his career in the AAF been with the Birmingham Iron there in Alabama close to home and uh
1: and that'd be that do you really think there's no chance that he will get back into the NFL
2: I don't know. It's so tough, especially for an aging running back like that. Who's not dominating. I mean, he wasn't dominating. He did break tackles and, uh, didn't go down on first contact, but in the end, he he was still averaging less than three, a carry in a, you know, in a minor league. That's, you know, that's, that's kind of going to be something that gives people pause. He may get a cup of coffee, he may get a training camp invite, a chance to prove himself. I I wouldn't be surprised if he did, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't
1: either. Talking with Ben Albright right now on the Alliance to XFL show, uh, Ben, um, I think the biggest surprise that I caught from uh, week one, you know, you had the names of Josh Johnson and you also had the names of Trevor Knight. But those guys weren't starting in those week one games. Is that something that we have to be concerned about or is that just, you know, they're just dealing with the uh, same issues like what they have in, uh, in the NFL where they have to compete for that starting job?
2: Well, Josh Johnson got out of his contract because he went to the Washington Redskins, um, and so that's that's the reason he's not playing. He doesn't have a contract at the league. He he chose the NFL, and you know I, I, everybody gets that. Um, uh, with regard to Trevor Knight, he was beaten out by John Wolford. Uh, Wolford uh, and Wolford put on a show. Um, mm-hmm. You know, got he ran that Arizona offense pretty well. Um, I, I wouldn't say that that was a concern unless you're Trevor Knight. That's probably concerning. But uh, you know, Knight played receiver in the NFL. I assume that you know he had. The ability and the versatility to do both in the AAF, and if I were him, that's probably what I would do.
1: <laughs> Let's go over to the XFL, and um, you were uh, the one that had dropped the news about Bob Stoops that was heading over to Dallas, and nobody didn't believe you uh, at the moment. But uh, what was your thoughts on uh, Bob Stoops going over to the XFL?
2: Yeah, we, we had that a few weeks early. Um, you know, I thought I thought it was a good move for the XFL. I think that the main problem the XFL is going to have. Um, is is that they need they have a credibility issue Um, they need people to believe that they are a serious football league instead of a kind of a carnival of football like they were last time mm-hmm. and so that's that's what the XFL's problem is it's a perception problem and you know they, they have more money than the AAF uh, significantly more almost five to one uh, in terms of, of capital to work with so um, you know I think that I think that what they have to do is what they've been doing hire Oliver luck to be the face of the league that lends you some gravitas bring in coaches like Bob Stoops that are serious coaches don't don't bring in these retraits It's like, you know, the AAF has a couple of them that, uh, that kind of aren't serious. You know, I mean, Mike Martz, get out of here. That's, that's past its expiration date. Uh, and while everybody's having fun watching Steve Spurrier out there, Steve Spurrier works like three hours a day. His assistants handle that team. So hiring Steve Spurrier is kind of, you know, one of those eye rollers to serious football people. So, um, you know, and and they won, they do, they played well, don't get me wrong, but that's one of those things that's a coach that's past its expiration date, what you're doing kind of thing. So, um, you know, I, that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to hire guys that are serious football coaches. And while they've hired Bob Stoops, and I don't know if you guys are aware, but they are going to be hiring Pep Hamilton as well for the Washington, D.C. job. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Haslett is currently in interviews right now. I think he's probably going to get the St. Louis job. That's not 100% yet, but, um, that you know, and so that gives you some, some gravitas. That gives you some serious football people that um, right. that are serious football minds. And it gives you that credibility that you're looking for, that you're not just a, uh, you know, just a spectacle,
1: that you're a football league. It's, it's funny that you mentioned the uh, St. Louis team because that's, you know, where, where we are based out of. And um, the Jim Hazlitt to St. Louis thing, that would actually be pretty good for uh, St. Louis. Uh, they don't have to deal with Jeff Fisher. They don't have to deal with Mike Marsh, even though Mike Marsh would have been great for St. Louis. But, you, you know, you have a defensive guy with Jim Hazlitt. You know, what would, also, what would that bring to the table, you know, if you bring in a guy like Jim Hazlitt?
2: Well, you've got years of football experience, a serious football mind, a defensive presence that's that's very good. Um, you don't want Mars. Mars was a guy who alienated everybody he worked with, and ultimately got run out of town. Jeff Fisher definitely will not be involved in the XFL. He's involved in the AAF um, as a senior content strategy director. Incidentally, it was kind of his idea. Um, partially his idea to have the microphone and camera on the Sky Judge there on Challenge plays for transparency. So while everybody likes to um, you know make fun of Jeff Fisher as a coach, Jeff Fisher as a football innovator might be something people get behind. We'll see. Um, now you know, but Jim Jim Haslam brings a lot to the table. Uh, the main thing, like I said, is that credibility, that football credibility. People will play for Jim. You know, there are no Jims out there to play football and not not have a bunch of nonsense. This isn't uh, you know this isn't the sideshow. You know, where where Jim's out here just trying to pander to media and. You know all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, you get a serious football mind and a defensive identity, and I think that you know, for a start, for a football team starting out, that's important. You got, you really do have to have an identity. Uh, you can, you can evolve from that identity, but you need to have something that you hang your hat on to start with. And, you know, with Jim, you're going to have solid defense.
1: Talking with Ben Albright right here on the Alliance XFL show here on the In the Zone Network. Uh, ben, I want to see. How you think about this one? Um, a lot of people have been talking about that the XFL and the Alliance need to merge. Do you believe that this needs to happen, or you think they just need to remain as separate entities?
2: Well, they're going to remain separate entities, and they are not going to merge. Um, that's not going to be a thing that happens. And, honestly, they're going to compete with each other. Um, the NFL does not have um, – Any any direct involvement in either of these leagues, but they don't view the AAF as a competitor. They view it as a feeder league. Where the XFL, they do view as a competitor. So I would suggest what would happen is, if the AAF runs into financial issues, the NFL would buy a stake of it uh, and keep them afloat. Um, The XFL is going to have to succeed on its own. The AAF has a lot of football connections, a lot of football family kind of people. Um, You know, Heinz Ward, Troy Polamalu, Jared Allen, uh, Kurt Warner all have a stake in the league. you know, there's a lot of NFL guys that have stakes in that. The Charlie Eversall, Dick Ebersol's son, is, is is running it. Uh, so it's kind of a football family thing. And so, you know, the XFL is Vince McMahon now has he brought football people in? Absolutely. But uh, at the same time, they're doing things a little differently. Um, the good news to the XFL is they've got an extra year to look at the shortcomings in the AAF rollout and correct those. The bad news is they've uh, you know these these other leagues have a a jump on market share. Um, the XFL is going to get curious eyeballs in the beginning just like the aaf did Mm -hmm. Uh, the question is whether or not they're able to keep them Um, and that's a question with the aaf right now they of course did a 2.1 uh overnight television rating on saturday which actually beat out um the houston uh rockets and uh okc thunder game airing opposite them on abc so you know there's definitely interest in these leagues the question is is the staying power and that's something that remains to be seen
1: exactly uh I I really do see that it was a shock to kind of actually see that that, uh, the ratings were actually above the NBA's. And the thing is, now we're going into week two and everything's moved to cable now. Will we still get the same interest or is just going to be like a big drop off uh, of sorts, you know, going into it?
2: Well, there's definitely going to be a drop. There's a drop in everything week two, whether it's a new television show, anything there's always a drop week one to week two in anything on television. Um, the, the question really isn't week two, because week one, week two, week three, you're going to see the numbers decline. The question for you know for for network execs is week four, five, six, seven, eight, et cetera. Is, is there a leveling out and an uptrend after that, after word of mouth starts to get out for people who missed the first wave? Um, and that's really what the key is going to be here, is mitigating loss from week two to week three, not week one to week two. And then after, you know, after that, uh, whether or not there's an uptick or a surge in viewership due to word of mouth. And and that's what we'll really be looking at. We won't know those answers for another month or so.
1: Well, Ben, I want to thank you so much for coming on board. Tell our listeners where they can find you on social media. If they don't know already.
2: Uh, yeah, you can, uh, you can unfollow me at Albright NFL.
1: <laughs> I said unfollow. Is that right? <laughs> 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 well, uh, Ben, I want to thank you so much for coming on board. Hey, uh, last I checked, you're still owed $500, correct? (laughs)
2: <laughs> well my, my charity is yes uh, I believe you're referring to Zenny Abraham and, and yes uh, my charity is still owed $500 two <laughs> years later after he made a, made a wager with me on relocation and, and blatantly lost and then uh, blocked me on social media and refused to pay
1: and there's video of it there's uh remaining it says, yes. it, is, it says it so that way for those that don't believe me you can actually go and find it on YouTube Okay, so Ben thank you so much for coming on board man we'll definitely have to bring you back on and, and next time I'll make sure i won't be late and everything will be in order oh we're all good man take care <laughs> that has been albright catch him on albright nfl and on twitter and definitely you can catch him on the radio in denver uh that's 1340 correct yes sir all right make sure that you catch him there all right more alliance to xfl right after this stay tuned This is In The Zone. They all want to know what's causing all this. In St. Louis, the talk of the NFL, a talk of professional football, is alive and well again. Now you got got Benjamin Arbright and, and Albert Breer on the air in St. Louis radio talking about the possibility of football coming to St. Louis. But why is this happening? You know why? Because Derek... King sparked the conversation on the In the Zone Network.
0: City to city, state to state, worldwide, you are listening to the In the Zone Network.
1: Back on this edition of the Alliance, the XFL show, the A-Train Arlington Lane. On the line with us right now is the Alliance writer uh, and, of course, NFL writer as well, but he's uh, definitely going to talk a little bit about the Alliance. It's Howard Balza. How are you doing? Arlington, I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. I'm definitely excited about what I saw in week one. So uh, give us your take on what you saw in week one.
3: Yeah, I think it was a, a very, very positive and Saw so, um, you know three three of the games. Of course, two were on at the same time on Saturday night, so could only see one. But I thought you know the the thing about it was the the games moved along, uh, the tempo uh, was good, and you know one of the things the league is wanted to is wanting to do is you know keep games around two and a half hours and consider that mission accomplished. Uh, the longest game was two hours and forty minutes, and that was Arizona on Sunday night. The others were right around. 230, 233, mm-hmm. and so I thought that that was a positive. You know, the tempo without the kickoffs and 35 second clock between plays uh, kept things moving, and I think that's that's what people like you know like to see. And you know, one thing is, you know, my wife is is a pretty big sports fan, and she loves football. And so as I'm sitting there camp in front of my TV, I'll admit she wasn't, she didn't sit there and watch games from start to finish, uh-huh. but when she would come in she'd say, you know, if you don't, you don't know the names of who these guys are, you'd, you'd, you'd walk in, you'd see the, the production and all that. And you say, man, this looks like an NFL game. And mm-hmm. so I'm not going to sit here and say that the talent level is as high as the NFL, but when you have, you know, two competitive teams playing, that's that's all you're really looking for so and the, and the rules some of the rules innovations uh, were good you know were good to see uh, especially when they had some replay reviews and they took a camera into the replay booth and you could uh, watch and hear the replay official uh, what was going through his mind as he was reviewing the play and then communicating it to the referee on the field so i think uh, like i said i think there was there was a lot of positives uh, certainly you know from a football standpoint uh, some of the quarterbacks struggled uh, some of the offensive lines struggled but I think that's to be expected you know the one reality Arlington is there's a lot of offensive lines in the NFL uh, that struggle
4: right.
3: And, right and and that's you know and that's with teams that have OTAs and they have a longer training camp and all those things i mean this this is a league where all these teams were put together and no one played together before they were in training camp for about three and a half weeks, learning each other, learning systems, learning how to play together. And when you consider that, a lot of these guys haven't played football in a long time. So when you consider all that, I think that uh, the quality uh, was was was, pre- was pretty darn good. And you'd have to expect as these teams are playing together and the season goes on, it's only going to get better.
1: Howard Balls are joining me right now on the Alliance to XFL show, talking a bit about the week one fallout. One of the Big moments that I remember from week one was uh, Sean Washington of the San Antonio Commanders and the big hit that he put on San Diego's Mike Berkovici. I mean, it was, it was one of the most clean hits I've ever seen, and, and no flags was thrown. And I think that was the biggest thrill that I remember seeing from, uh, of course, on Saturday night.
3: Yeah, and, and the thing about it, and I saw a lot of people commenting on Twitter saying that if that play had happened in an NFL game, there might've been a flag because it looked worse and it was a, it was a hell of a hit, but it the first, the first time through you're thinking, Oh, he must've hit him in the head, especially with the way his helmet uh, came flying off. (laughs) And so, and and the thing with the NFL is the officials there, since they put the, the strong emphasis on defenseless players and safety and all that, they've told the officials when, when there's a close play err on the side of the penalty, err on the side of safety and that's why i've said all along some of these plays should be reviewed because you're by doing it that way you're accepting the fact that some of them are going to be incorrect mm-hmm. and and certainly we saw that in the kansas city new england AFC championship game when the official thought that tom brady was hit in the head uh, by chief defensive lineman chris jones but when you saw the replay he said no he just hit him you know in the upper chest and it should not have been a penalty, and so that's where the sky judge comes in mm-hmm. that the alliance is using, where they can either, if they see something. This is again not replay. You know, you know, Roger Goodell keeps saying, well, we don't want to have inter, you know, re, you know, it, pass interference or defenseless players and all that subject to replay reviews, which, first of all, I don't understand why you wouldn't, because. it's not going to slow the game down because teams are still going to have the same number of challenges. But given that comment, what has been suggested by Dan Rooney, former owner of the Steelers, and Mike Pereira, who of course was in the NFL as a supervisor of officials, is on Fox with uh, Dean Blandino, both of those guys are consulting with and working with the Alliance on their rules. And he is one that believes that the Sky Judge should be a part of Of the officiating crew in the nfl to where if a play occurs and you see it immediately on replay and see right away that it was either a wrong call or there should have been a penalty they can buzz down and tell the referee here's what you need to do and so on that particular play we don't know if the sky judge uh, I, i would think the sky judge probably looked at that very quickly and when he looked at it he saw, okay, that was a legal hit. If he had seen that it wasn't a legal hit, he could have buzzed down and said, should be a penalty on that 15 yards. And so these are the things that the NFL, I think is going to be watching closely in terms of besides just player development, coach development, uh, official development. I think with some of the rules that the Alliance are, are using, that the NFL is going to be looking at that very closely to see if maybe are those something that they might want to uh, institute in the game so i think going forward not necessarily saying it's going to happen immediately mm-hmm. but i think it, it's definitely some things that could happen down the road and like i said i know mike pereira ha- believes strongly that that sky judge should be used in the nfl and if it and, and we know what i found funny too <laughs> uh arlington What's that? is that they discussed that on one one of the Sunday games, where Maurice Jones-Drew uh, was was on was was an analyst, right? And and the, the play-by-play guy Dan Helley, is on NFL Network, brought up that rule, and Maurice Jones-Drew says, "Well, no, I don't like that rule. I don't think they should do that." <laughs> and Helley says, "Really?" And so and then Maurice Jones-Drew says, "Yeah, that you know uh, they got the call right." Or, no, no, he didn't say they got the call right. He said in the Saints-Rams game, he, goes, he said the right team went to the Super Bowl. Well, he should have followed that with, oh, and by the way, I'm part of the Rams broadcast team. Yeah. You know, but he, he, you know, he, he just forgot to mention that. I you know, but think I think overall, <laughs> it doesn't, you know, hey, you know what? It, all, it always depends on whose ox is being gored. But the bottom line is, uh, MJD, is that if you had the Sky Judge, they might have all, also corrected that play where Jared Goff had his, his face mask cold and they didn't, and they didn't call a penalty. So bottom line is if you can get more calls, right. And not necessarily slow the game down, then I think that's a positive. And it's good that the Alliance
1: is doing this. And I'm going to be very curious if down the road, the NFL starts doing it also. Talking with Howard Balzer right now on the Alliance to XFL show, pretty much giving a week one fallout of everything that was seen. Uh, Who was your most impressive team over the past week? I I would say no. I didn't see the Orlando game,
3: uh, but, you know, saw the score and saw what happened there. And really the the teams that looked the most impressive were the ones, you know, there was a lot of pretty good defense played for the most part. Uh, There wasn't a lot of, successful running the football. I think that could have had something to do with uh, some of the offensive lines. But the teams that were most impressive Arlington were the ones that got the best quarterback play. And Orlando, with Garrett Gilbert, who, by the way, was a Rams draft pick uh, several years ago, Mm -hmm. had a real solid game uh, for Orlando. Mm -hmm. And uh, they put 40 on the board. Arizona, and it was interesting because when I was at training camp, I was at Arizona practice one day. It was about two weeks into camp, and Phil Savage, the Arizona, and everyone thought this kid Trevor Knight was going to be the quarterback for the hot shots. He was their first pick, the first round pick in the uh, in the quarterback protect draft. Mm-hmm. And then they picked John Wolford in the second round, and he's undersized. He's listed as six one, but he's really closer to six foot. And Phil Savage said to me at practice, he said, "Keep your eye on Wolford." this kid can play well he started for arizona and was 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 pretty amazing See so he passed for 275 yards four touchdowns no interceptions ran for 25 yards and just seemed to have a lot of confidence and moxie and he really got it going in the second half and his confidence just seemed to build all game long and he has a real pretty good receiver in rashad ross Right. He was a hometown kid uh, yep. from Arizona State,
4: yes, uh, who is. played,
3: uh, you know, who played there in Sun Devil Stadium, mm-hmm. and I really liked uh, what Wolford did in that game. And then the other one, they didn't score that many points, uh, but Birmingham uh, with Luis Perez, who was in the Rams' training camp uh, last summer and was on their practice squad after being cut uh, for about 16 days, mm. and then ends up with the Alliance. He played very well also uh, for Birmingham. And so, uh, those and 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 while they only scored 15, he he hit some big plays in that of 30 yards or longer on three drives that led to two field goals and a touchdown. So I thought those teams were pretty impressive. And so, like I said, that's going to be key for this league, for the teams to be that the teams that are good are the teams that have consistent quarterbacking. But it also traces to that offensive line being able to protect. Uh, protect that quarterback and Berkovici you mentioned in in san diego he was under siege in the preseason game was sacked six times in one half and then in their game this weekend this past weekend he was sacked six times again when he had time he 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 did a good job of finding receivers when he didn't there was a lot of problems and that's something that mike march and the fleet have to correct if they're going to score uh, score points because Uh, For a
1: Mike Martz team to only score six points in a game, you know that he has to be very disappointed in that. (laughs) No doubt about it. That is something that you don't normally see in a Mike Martz offense. As we're talking with Howard Balzer here on the Alliance to XFL show. Uh, Last thing before you head out, Howard, is um, let's talk about week two. We got the matchups already uh, that you have already put out on the website at AAF.com. What, game are you looking forward to seeing in this week's battle? Well, um, I, I think that, that Salt Lake,
3: you know, I, th- I think all of them are interesting in their own right. I was going to say Salt Lake at Birmingham, you know, they, they need to uh, rebound uh, from, uh, from a, a tough offensive game uh, for them. You know, they had some issues uh, at quarterback. Um, we just talked about uh, Birmingham. You know, Orlando, I think at San Antonio, is, is going to be maybe the game of the week. On Sunday afternoon on CBS Sports Network, you know both teams won their openers. They're the two, you know, they're both one and zero. San Antonio is home for the second straight week, and they played very good defense in their, you know, in, in their first game. And so uh, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see. You know, Logan Woodside uh, did a pretty good job for San Antonio. Quarterback threw for a bunch of yards. I uh, had a couple of interceptions which hurt and didn't have any touchdown passes. But that should be a pretty good matchup there and very telling for two teams that might be two of the better teams in, in the league. And then, you know, Atlanta had some real struggles in its game, and they're on the road for the second straight week. San Diego, as we just talked about with the Fleet, their first mm-hmm. home game. And that, that's going to be key there for one of those teams not to fall uh, to Owen two, so you know I, I think Arlington. When you only have four games each week, you can point to each one and say, "Hey, you know those are you know those are pretty good matchups." Yeah. And Memphis uh, Saturday night will have its home opener in the Liberty Bowl against that Arizona team, which a lot of people in the league think might be uh, the best team. And and even though the Express uh, lost uh, in their opener, the big part was Christian Hackenberg did not play well in his debut, but they played really good defense. And mm-hmm. so if they can get some offense going against that Arizona team, then, you know, you know, that, that, that could make that, you know, a pretty good game. And we'll see if they can do a good job on defense against Wolford and his cast of uh, you know, cast of offensive players. Uh, with Arizona. So like I said, when you have only four games, you can look at each of them and say, hey, those are pretty interesting matchups.
1: Yeah, and uh, you spoke about the uh, the Arizona-Memphis game. I, I kind of see that, at least from, uh, from what happened last week, I see that as a one-sided affair. But like you said, Memphis did play well on uh, defense, despite the fact they didn't score anything on the offensive end. And I think that, like you said, the game of the week, Orlando- San Antonio, you got a good offense against a great defense. That could be Interesting to see how both those teams, you know, play out. Somebody's going to have to drop and take a loss here, but it's definitely going to be something worthy watching uh, coming up this weekend. Yeah,
3: and and I'm curious if Hackenberg can rebound from a tough outing. And he played better in the second half than the first and still wasn't overly strong. But, you know, a lot of things are developing a rhythm, as we know, in football on offense. And, and Hackenberg, here, here's, a, here's a really weird little uh, tidbit, is that he did not even play, I'm fairly certain of this, he did not even play in a preseason game uh, for the Jets
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, last summer. And it was almost as if they didn't want to take a chance on him getting hurt and having to keep him on injury reserve. The wild thing is that John Wolford, who we talked about earlier, the Arizona quarterback, right. was in the Jets' mini, uh, their rookie minicamp after the draft uh, last year was not signed uh, was not signed by anybody else. And he gets signed by the jets on August 26, four days before their preseason finale. <laughs> and so, um, and he ends up playing in the game, Josh mm. McCown started. Uh, they knew they were going to go with Sam Darnold at that point. Right. And so Darnold didn't play. And so last preseason game, they just figured, Hey, let's throw the kid out there. And you know he was eight for twenty for you know but what do you expect you know he was he was there for you know for three days you know four days before the game and they end up putting him in and 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 he's only six foot like I said and then and then what I th- you know what I think they did they signed him to the practice squad and then released him the next day wow. um, and I was thinking to myself why'd they do that And I almost think well you, you did us a favor by coming in and you know, and putting yourself at risk by playing. So he'll put you on the practice squad and pay you for the week so you can come away with some money, you know, because you, you play in the practice squad. And I think that's about, uh, I think it's about eight or nine grand for a week for being on the practice squad. But it was strange that he was there for one day and then re- and then released. But, but anyway, so he, he was, he played on August 30th, was waived on August 31st. And the next day, Christian Hackenberg was waived by you know by the Jets and so here they are both now uh, starting
1: quarterbacks in the alliance that's amazing (laughs) that is truly amazing before you go Howard tell everybody where you can be found on social media well social media of course is hbalzer b-a-l-z-e-r at
3: uh, I'm sorry hbalzer 721 Uh, that's that's my twitter twitter handle and then uh, at uh, not social media but on as you mentioned the Alliance website aaf.com uh, i had a little story there Sunday night on both Perez and Wolford and then a you know an early look ahead to the four games uh, this weekend and another thing i'm going to be doing uh, arlington on the, on the website
4: mm-hmm. is going
3: to be contacting some NFL uh, people you know general managers uh, maybe maybe some people who aren't in the NFL anymore and getting their take on what they're seeing of the alliance uh, what they like, what their reaction is, and how important they believe a developmental league is for the NFL. So I'm going to be doing some of those stories uh, during the rest of the season, in addition to covering
1: the games and all that. Well, we'll look forward to it, uh, Howard. Thank you again for coming on board. Hey, man, this is getting kind of fun. Maybe I have to do it again next week. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine with it. Like like talking up the league and talking with you, certainly. And so,
3: you know, once again, I urge. Or as the people listening out there, uh, check out the Alliance website, AAF.com. And, of course, there's team pages for every team. You can see all the stories, all the reactions. uh, That's everything going on uh, in the league. And great resource for the
1: schedules, obviously, and everything else. So that's AAF.com. Thank you so very much. That is Howard Balzer, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we're going to have more coming up. Right after this, you're listening to the Alliance to XFL show, right here on the In the Zone Network.
0: My name is Ronnie, and I have used VK Credit Repair for 30 days, and in 30 days, my credit score has gone up 90 points. Kendra gave me a clear plan of what we needed to do in order to make the improvements on my credit. She did them for me. She came through on every deadline. She gave me instructions on what to do, what not to do. I saw four collections fall off in 30 days that's what she did for me my future in regards to business for my children and for me looks very promising and bright and it's a small investment in your time and your money in regards to what it can do for you overall so i'm just so appreciative of it and i stand behind her because i've seen magic i've seen it i owe all of that to kendra and dk credit repair
2: City to city, state to state, worldwide. You're listening to the In The Zone Network.
1: Welcome back to this edition of the Alliance XFL show. I am the A-Train Arlington Lane. On the line with me right now is a good friend of mine, and he's uh, covering the Alliance for the alliance to xfl.com, which you can find at the alliance to XFL It's my man, the King of Mount Airy, Phil Allen. How you doing? Good afternoon, brother. How are you? I'm doing great, man. And uh very happy that you are a part of the uh Alliance to XFL crew, man. And uh, and got the chance to check out the article, man. It was wonderful, especially uh, the Around the Alliance Week 1 review. It was enjoyable, man. I appreciate that.
5: And I'm looking forward to, one, being a part of the Alliance XFL. But, you know, I was, I was someone who, from the beginning, really liked the way they constructed this league.
4: Yeah. So I
5: was really excited about Sunday because I looked at the names you know, you see the XFLs and the USFLs, and even for me, being a little older, the World Football League, where you had a lot of splashy names with owners, you know, Rich magnets, you know, who bought teams like, you know, a Steinbrenner, a Trump with the Generals, you know, and their names were there. This league felt concrete to me when I saw names like Polian mm-hmm. and Ward and Palomalu and Marks and Neuheisel and Spurrier. These were folks that, I, you know, they weren't, they're not to play. When it comes to the game of football, they're not to play. So one of the things I liked and was excited about looking forward to this weekend, the past weekend, was the fact that the league had been built on a foundation of football, not glitz glamour, not, you know, you didn't see a cheerleader there. You didn't see fireworks. You, you know, it, it was about the game. So that's what I was excited about. And I kind of think they paid off in week one.
1: Let's break down a bit about the games that you had seen in week one. Let's first go over to uh, the inaugural game, which uh, about three-fourths of the country got a chance to watch, and that was San Antonio versus San Diego. What was your thoughts on that game?
5: The first thing that, that struck me was we forget, when you look at, and you watched for years in Orlando Pace, I've watched Jason Peters, you know, being a Philadelphia native, but I've watched great offensive line play throughout the NFL. And you watched in the 90s, in the mid-80s, early 90s, when that left tackle became the highest-paid player outside of the quarterback, the first thing I thought on Sunday was now we know why. Because it is so much easier to find quick mobile edge rushers who can get around the corner and get pressure. And even interior linemen like a Fletcher Cox or Aaron Donald who's coming north-south. He's not going east-west. He's coming north-south, and he's doing it running a 4-5 with all kind of moves. And these offensive linemen, they just weren't ready. I think the fleet were a lot more noticeable, but the first thing I started looking at was footwork and speed and game condition. And they just kind of ate those offensive lines up early. Um, The commanders were able to stabilize theirs with a better passing game and keep the rush you know, to a minimum, and they ran a I think a little better, a little better prepared offense. But um, yeah, less tackles don't come on corners,
1: huh? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of interesting to see that, and um, especially the. Uh, and I spoke about it with uh, previously with uh, Howard Balzer of uh, AAF dot com. He had spoke about that Sean Robinson hit that Mike uh, Berkovici took, and that was yeah. that was uh, ooh, it, it it made me. Sh- It makes me shake just thinking about it.
5: You ever stand on a train platform and the express goes by, it doesn't stop at your stop? (laughs) And and it comes through doing like 75. That's what I thought about when I'm watching (laughs) the separate from his helmet. The second thing, though, and I think a lot of people like this, and it wasn't just the Bercovici hit, but it was in all four games. They let them hit. They let them play football Sunday.
4: Yeah.
5: That one. That resembles football. I saw a lot of good hits, big hits, not necessarily dirty, no spearing, no leading with the head, but just good, clean football hits and flags weren't coming out. And I, I like that. I let, they, they really. I think the league is going to make an effort to let them play.
1: We're talking with Phil Allen of AllianceXFL.com. He's joining me right now on the Alliance XFL show here on the In The Zone Network. And um, you had also spoke about some hits and some misses that you saw in the game. Touch a little bit about that.
5: Uh, hits and misses were the first thing. Um, I liked – there's a couple of things I liked, and then a couple of days later I kind of re examined I think it was a hit having the referee mic'd up with the, with the replay booth. I like that because so many times you hear people want to say, oh, that's that New York flag. They need to keep this game close, so the Patriots need to advance. Um, I like that. Love the concept of the sky, sky good. Now, one of the things they missed with early in terms of the production would be the microphones—you had seven or eight mic feeds going at the same time at one point, mm-hmm. and you can hear everything. And that's something that obviously you can fix as you move forward. Right, and you saw less of it used as the weekend went on. You saw less of it used, but in that game, one of the things I did like, one of the things that I did see, was that they—I think they did an amazing job, putting together a a sellable product. A, a, presentable product in that short period of time what was it 31 days yeah that they had with their rosters mm-hmm. so i i think that's one of the big hits that i saw i mean they, they came out of the first game unscathed i liked it i liked the, the enthusiasm in the san antonio building. i think they've done a good job of identifying cities to put these football teams in and i have a table that i'm going to use in week two because one of the couple of folks who have read the article said to me well you know, eleven thousand people is not a lot, twenty one thousand people is not a lot. But if you go back and you look at the AFL and the other team and the other leagues, um, when those leagues started with forty or fifty thousand, those gates were papered really strong. And then in the second and third week you saw the attendance fall off. So you build this way with good football, solid presentation, and you build your attendance honestly. If you look at the AFL, I think their first season they averaged twenty 23- three Thousand per game across the league. Um, the AAF, AA, uh, the Alliance, had twenty-one thousand per stadium this weekend. I think that's strong. That's a hit.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that because I'm not expecting a uh, 60,000 to show up for uh, for a game that they. Because usually you have to have a rapport with the players, and like you said about the AFL, you don't, you didn't have a rapport with the talent yet. Once you start to build on that, I believe the attendance will grow because then you like you said, you're producing quality football. And that's what people have said prior to that. That's what the thing is. You're allowing them to play football and I think that's what's going to be the key here. You're gonna have a core group that's gonna love No, that. that's a great point. That's a
5: great point. And let me just kinda of leapfrog that with These teams didn't practice in their home cities. Everyone was kind of centralized. So you didn't have that day-to-day chance organically to become part of the community. You know, for the most part, the rosters were – I don't think the rosters were published until maybe five days before the game. Exactly. Four days. Mm -hmm. It was difficult to get your hand on the rosters. You didn't have an exhibition game that was visible. You had no game film. A couple of days before the game, you saw a couple of commercials where they kind of spliced in some stuff from their uh, in-house exhibitions. But that's something that organically will grow, because as the players become part of the community, making appearances, being seen week three, week four, week five, uh, and if uh, you're the kid Ross, uh, Rashad Ross with the two touchdowns, everybody knows him now. <laughs> Doesn't take long. Doesn't take long, and then everybody knows Mike Dukakis too, <laughs> <you know? laughs>
1: Right? You, yeah, you become a meme uh, very quickly on social media with something like that. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> right.
5: So, so just just um, just piling on that. So next year you'll have your spring. You'll have your. Well, I never thought about this in terms of football, but you'll have your spring training in your home city with you know obviously there'll be some turnover but there'll be some second years and we'll talk about targeting of these cities later on in this conversation I'd like to but um yeah I think that I I can't think of anything in that first game that you can really point to and say oh this won't work that's not gonna work there's some things that were different that played different for me Um, I struggle with the lack of a kickoff
4: Mm. now
5: while I love the idea I love and – and, you know, I hate to say I told you so, but I actually used to – I was a proponent of that, you know, one shot, fourth. And I always said it would be fourth and 15. But well, fourth and 12 was a great idea.
4: Yep.
5: But it's tough. It's tough, Arlington, to – I think that kicking off, there's an energy in the stadium and now maybe you make a play on the kick return and the guys start at the 14 instead of the 25 and your defense then tacks on to that momentum, gets a three and out, and you're right back on the field. I think you lose some of that. We'll see how it plays. You hear a lot of people saying, well, that's something that the NFL wants them to do. I wouldn't doubt that. You know, mm-hmm. when you've got Darrell Johnston working for both leagues, the Polians are always going to be involved in both leagues.
4: Right. You know,
5: most of those names are going to go back and forth. And you'll see a lot of that kind of hybrid, you know, employment because of the fact that the leagues dovetail, that they're not going to be playing at the same time. You won't be working at the same time. So I struggle with the kick return. Um, I'm not sure I, I like the two-point conversion. I just, I, I, for some reason, you know, numerically, you'll see different game totals. <laughs> you know, that was the first thing that struck out of me. Big sneaks, you know. You know, the numeric in the game total, you know, we've been trained one way. We're going to look for that. But I think what's more important is that you fail on two two two-point conversions. You're in a different kind of hole. Can't make that up with a field goal. You know what I mean? Just to do the math. That's true. And so I would would like to, and again, not going to change because Phil didn't get it. Maybe Phil, you know, it's going to be different. For me, it kind of felt like a miss. And maybe it felt like a miss because the team's offenses weren't cohesive and they struggled to run those plays mm-hmm. that you have to run in a condensed field area. You know, especially when you have an offensive line that can't block anybody.
1: Right, right.
5: In the TR right. So you're going to get some things that look a little messy. This, too, shall pass.
1: <laughs> so guess what, Phil? We're going to actually take a timeout right here, we're going to f- – Finish up with more of this conversation on the week one that was the Alliance of American Football. So stay right where you are, folks. We'll be back with more of the Alliance to XFL show right here on the In the Zone Network. This is In the Zone. Corn. Cardboard. Ass splinters. More corn. Blossom. Whoa! Whoa!
5: Yeah! Things Fred Rogan would say. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> Things Sam Crocky would say. Yes! Woo! yes! Woo!
1: Yeah! On the In the Zone Network.
0: City to city, state to state, worldwide. You are listening to The Real in the zone network
1: this is it. back on this edition of the Alliance XFL show game train Arlington Lane on the line with me right now is my guy from the Alliance to XFL.com Phil Allen and Phil We were talking a bit about uh, week one, uh, especially with the first game, the inaugural game that we saw was uh, San Antonio and uh, uh, the San Diego Fleet. Let's move forward. We're going to go over to you had mentioned in the first segment about Arizona, but I'm gonna hold on that. I want to talk a bit about Steve Spurrier's guys with the Orlando Apollos and the Atlanta Legends. Now, I get it. It was a one-sided affair. But one thing I saw that was great was the Florida special that was put out or Orlando special, whatever you want to call it, from uh, the Apollos. What were your thoughts? I thought
5: that was called the Philly special.
1: The silly special? Is that what you said?
5: I mean, that's where it came from. It came directly out of the Philadelphia Eagles playbook. That, that's the touchdown they ran on fourth and inches against the Patriots in the Super Bowl, wasn't it? Right, yep,
4: yep. That's okay, correct.
5: you know, the jet sweep, throwback, and I'm okay with that. Um, that's, a, that's a tough game to watch because you've got an Atlanta team that's coming in. Say what you want about Steve Spurrier, and I mentioned this in the article. When he's into it, he's one of the great coaches. You can see that his offense was installed, that they had, that they were, that that was the best, that, I don't know if it was the best offense because of the level of competition of the legends, which was, you know, not uh, barely noticeable. That team is terrible, and I want to give them a pass. Let's give them a pass off the bat. Yes. They lost their head coach, what, two week, three weeks, three weeks ago, Brad Children mm-hmm. jumped ship for whatever reason. And then on, Friday, then on Friday, pardon me, then on Friday it's revealed that Michael Vick has not been involved as you would have been led to believe and now was not going to be involved in game day at all. So they've come from behind the eight ball. It looked like Orlando had better done a better job of acquiring talent, uh, putting that talent together. They were prepared. Steve Spray is on the sideline with a play chart with about four hundred plays in it. <laughs> players no, I mean I, I looked at it. I was trying to count at one point.
1: Yeah, it's a lot um, though. It's a lot. It's always been yeah, a big playbook. Yeah, he
5: had a lot. And and he had it's a big playbook, but it looked like it was working well. His quarterback was very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were very good. Throw in a couple takeaways and now you're playing you know, you're playing downhill. And that's what the Apollo's did in the second half. 40-6 is not as disparate as that score could have been. It could have been 60-6. to six.
1: <laughs> It could have been. It could have been really nasty. Well, let's move over. Uh,
5: to Now, the- hold on, hold on. Let, one thing I want to wrap, up. I, I think this is important. Okay. Um, again, another fertile ground for football in that Orlando franchise. This is a young city with a lot of, you know, you've got Disney and Universal and all these resorts. Yep. So, you've got a really young base there to turn into football fans. They've been very successful with Orlando FC and in, uh, in uh, Major League Soccer this year. Highly successful. That game sounded like a
1: party. And I it think it
5: really did.
1: And, and one person that I can I can honestly say that has done an excellent job with it, uh, along with the staff, is the team president Michael Waddell. Michael Waddell has been all over the, the all over the uh, internet with uh, the bounce house is what they name the stadium. Um, the marketing that it has done behind it. I mean, he's been all over it. He has done whatever. He's like, I'm doing whatever it takes for not only to give an experience, but also to help bring a championship home to Orlando. And he's done that. So I commend him.
5: And you could feel that. You could feel that coming through the game. You could feel the enthusiasm. You can feel the energy in the building. They've done. And, again, I haven't been on Ground Zero to see what's been done marketing-wise in each city. But, again, you know, you nailed it. It was apparent that this team had been, you know, pumped up and projected, and like, let's get at this. And then when you get ahead and you're winning, it's just a great way to start. And that, again, that's how you build a league that that is sustainable. And everybody says, well, you know, if it's a developmental league and you've got fixed costs, then you've got 42 men, $75,000 apiece, your max roster is $3 million, and that's a great base that you can even out with sponsorships and TV and not worry about tickets breaking you. But no one wants to play football in front of 6,000 people. No one wants to play football in front of 2,500 people. Doesn't make for great TV presentation. I expect them to be one of the linchpins of the league, at least in that area. I think that, you know, them and along with the next game, I think you're going to get to Arizona. I think they clearly show that they're in the league.
1: Talking with Phil Allen right now on the Alliance XFL show. And uh, I want to move over to I think, in, in my opinion, it was one of my favorite games to watch, and that was uh, Birmingham versus Memphis, and not because of the score. I'm not going to say that. I was going I'm, I'm pretty much going to talk about Birmingham's play, especially behind Luis Perez and Trent Richardson's two touchdowns. You know, that was something that I enjoyed thoroughly throughout that game.
5: Um, and, and I did also, although it would have been nice to see Memphis be more competitive. They did compete. Their defense kept them in that game for three quarters. It kept Trent Richardson from getting started earlier. He did get his legs under him, you know, third quarter, fourth quarter. And then here's a point I want to add that really was illuminated in that game more than some others, um, maybe Atlanta to some extent. But with the pace of the game, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, you know, the ball's being snapped more. If you can't get off the field – you can get winded quick, and if you do get off the field, and now you get a three and out, you're right back out there. And eventually, you saw the Birmingham defense kind of bend and allow, and that's what allowed um, Trent Richardson to score those two touchdowns. And let's not forget he had the two point conversion. But early on, they did a really good job with him. You know, they they held him to, I, I guess, the first half. I don't think he had more than 18 or 20 yards, about two point three a carry, 2.2 and a half a carry.
4: Mm-hmm. I think
5: they did a good job. I'm rooting for Trent Richardson. A lot of people like to, you know, disparage him and, you know, say that he's been an NFL failure. I love second chances, and I'd love to see him bounce back in a big way. And if he doesn't ever get back to the NFL, play four or five good years, three, four years in the league, it does, the NFL doesn't have to be the end-all for every player in that league. That's not possible.
4: Mm-hmm. It's, right. it's not possible. Yeah. Right. And as
5: the league grows, you're going to need some of those teams to have 15 or 20 players hold over, especially when you only have a 53-man roster and only 42 of them are going to be active every Sunday. Some continuity would be important. I'd like to see Trent Richardson. You mentioned Luis Perez. i, I did not really familiar with him, familiar with his numbers. Probably seen him play four times in my life, maybe twice. Um, very good. poised, strong. Made some real. I, I thought that he made really good reads, and didn't have well, he Maybe didn't have the greatest core receivers. He threw the receivers over a, open a couple times. Mm-hmm. Never, never looked, never looked to be in a hurry. And um, that's a solid team. That's a solid team. Good job by uh, Coach Tim Lewis. That's a solid football team. Weren't as glitzy and glamorous as some of the other teams that won, but um, you know they, they were. They're solid.
1: As we're talking with Phil Allen right here on the Alliance to XFL show, got to talk about the last group, you know, of week one, and that was the Arizona Hotshots against the Salt Lake Stallions. And who would have known that John Wofford would turn into the breakout star of the week with four touchdowns?
5: Nice. Yeah, really, really impressive. Made some big throws. He made NFL throws all day long. Poised. And let's not forget, he's got some talent on that team. His receiver core is big, they're fast, and the best one isn't the biggest or the fastest. Again, it's the kid for who broke that game over with two big-time plays. He just outran on the first touchdown, the 36-yarder. He, he just runs a basic post pattern and just beats the guy across the field. Safety's not in the position to help. Uh, great throw by Wofford. You've got a touchdown. Next one's a simple fade, but, again, he works his body, not the biggest, but he puts his body in a position where his quarterback can just um, throw him open, and that's what he did. And, you know, San Diego's very, very impressive. A couple of nice running backs, good sturdy play both both sides of the ball. I like the hot shots.
1: Yeah, the hot shots is looking really nice, and you, you're uh, seeing a possible uh, – quarterback-receiver tandem with uh, Wofford and Ross, and that's something good to have, especially uh, in a a league that's just in its infancy.
5: You know, it's funny because you say that and the first thing I've thought in watching the earlier games was, well, the defense is going to be ahead of the offense. You know, it's much easier to put in a a defense than it is. And in my opinion, it's a lot easier to put in a a serviceable defense in week one than it is an offense. That's going to have a huge playbook, but when you get some talent and Arizona has that, it's apparent that you can do that. And they did look to be a step ahead. I I don't like to, to picks. I think Mike Rowley did a great job with the commanders. Not as flashy gets to win. Tim Lewis does a great job, did a great job. Not quite as flashy as the Apollos and the Hot Shots, but you know, they won games. And so in this game, you know, you see all the points and you see the touchdowns and, and Again, another nice, another nice, engaged audience. yeah you, know, you put up thirty points, you're gonna get a whole lot of cheers in a whole lot of weeks. But one of the things that struck me watching the Arizona game play as because i'm a, i'm a, i'm a, I'm, a, I'm watching the bleachers and I'm watching the crowd and I'm listening. And I see a lot of hot Shots jerseys in that crowd, hot Shots hoodies, hats, scarves, You know, lots of paraphernalia, lots of kids having fun. That's how you build a base. That's Mm -hmm. exactly how you build a base. Now, as much as you want to uh, credit uh, Rick Rick Neuheisel and the Hotshots, the Stallions did nothing to embarrass themselves. They were in that game. They were solid. They were prepared, big offensive line, averaging about 325 across. They were giving their quarterback time. He has sort of had like a freak, almost non-contact injury uh, in Woodruff, takes him him out of the game. The backup quarterback, although he made a couple early throws, was never able really to get his feet on the ground, and the game got got away from them. It's going to be interesting to see the Stallions in week two. I think they, too, are a very good football team. I think they were well-prepared, well-coached, and their defense – You know, you say, well, you gave them 36 points. You didn't play well. Yes, they did. I think they played very well. They got hit by a couple big strikes. Remember, two strikes in this league is 16 points. Right. Two two big strikes can be 16 points. Exactly. Not 14. These numbers pile up. So um, I like that game. It was competitive. It was fun to watch from beginning to the whistle. And I expect the Stallions to bounce back and be a factor in this league. And we're talking about factors in the league that's had a whole week, so you know we're both football junkies, and this will never, <laughs> change. <laughs> and this will never change.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, talking with Phil Allen here on the Alliance XFL show. Uh, before we wrap it up, uh, Phil, with you today, um, I want to talk a bit about what to look forward to in week two. What are you, what are you looking like right now for next week?
5: I'm looking to see um, advances in offensive line play. Now you've had a week – under your belt, you kind of know what's coming. I, you want I want to see them uh, the ability to play as a tandem. To you know, you saw a lot of just totally misreads, uh, blocking reads, line calls like the one that allowed Sean Washington to, um, you know, pretty much dismember like <laughs> <the>, uh, <laughs> San Diego quarterback Mike Vrabelich. <laughs> yeah. But I I look to see that I look to see. Um, just uh, ball control. Ball control is going to be so huge in this league, and it's going to be important that you that you stay on the field. You can't, you know, with the pace of the play. And I'm wondering also as we move forward in the alliance, Arlington, is it going to be possible to keep a team healthy when you're just dressing 42 men? Is that going to expose people to injury as you get more and more game play? Um, 53-man rosters get thin. Look at some of the teams in the NFL who lost two corners in a half, and all of a sudden you know, you got a safety-playing quarterback. That, that's one of the things that I wonder about, and I look forward to as the league is on end of week two, uh, what factor attrition will be. Now that you've had a chance to play with that 30-second clock, what changes do you make in the way you approach your possessions? Because it's going to be very, very important. The one thing that, that was striking for me was how quickly those games moved.
1: Yeah, and that's something that, you know, you always have to look forward to seeing. That's what the thing that they were pushing for is to have a faster-paced game, and that's what, you know, they have accomplished. And uh, I think the longest game, as was stated by uh, Howard Balzer earlier, was that it was two hours and 40 minutes, and that's the latest. So the 10 minutes over, that's actually pretty good compared to the three hours that you normally get on an NFL game.
5: So well, I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't some way to have an emergency activation roster. I think that with 42 men at the pace of these, 42 players at the pace of these games, as the league moves on in weeks and games played, there, there may be some adjustments. I don't think that you can play that pace with 42 players on your roster. I, mean, I don't think that's possible. we We'll fill And it out. not have quality football.
1: Well, Phil, I appreciate you coming on board, man, and coming doing this for us today. And uh, where can they find you uh, on the internets?
5: Oh, you can find me at 980. So there's going to be adjustment in that Twitter
1: to reflect
5: yeah. our presence here at Alliance to XFL. I might just turn into Alliance to XFL fanboy number one. Yeah. Who knows. <laughs> I, I'm hyped. I'm not in this because I'm some football expert. I'm in it because I'm a fan. I've yeah. been a fan for 40 years of professional football. As I said before, this will never change. So look forward to my next article. Read it. Put your comments on it. I have all my updated social media information. We'll go back and forth. We'll engage. There's nothing more fun than a disagreement about professional sports football, especially thanks, to A-Train. Look forward to the next week, babe.
1: Yes, sir. I can't wait myself, man. That is Phil Allen. Joining us on the alliance, uh, excuse me, on the Alliance to XFL show, and that'll wrap things up for this edition of the Alliance to XFL show. Make sure that you go and check us out at alliance2xfl.com, and you can check out the show through the In the Zone Network. It's the A Train Arlington Lane signing off. We'll catch you next time for another edition of the Alliance to XFL.